0: ETFs are on a tear. For the first time ever, global ETF inflows eclipsed $1 trillion, topping last year's record by 66%. And it's not just existing investors adding money. By BlackRock estimates, some 40 million new self-directed investment accounts were opened around the world. With a record-breaking year behind us, what's to come for 2022? Welcome to The Bid where we break down what's happening in the markets and explore the forces changing investing. I'm your host, Oscar Polito. Today, I'm pleased to welcome Salim Ranji, BlackRock's Global Head of ETF and Index Investments, and Samara Cohen, BlackRock's Chief Investment Officer of ETF and Index Investments. Together, we'll explore the clients behind these record inflows, the changing role of ETFs, and how financial inclusion can transform markets. Salim and Samara, welcome to the bid.
1: Thank you for having us.
0: It's great to be here, Oscar. Well, I know our audio listeners can't see this, but we're actually sitting around a table next to each other together in in person. It's so good.
1: It's so exciting. It
0: is good. Who knew that that would be exciting one day? But (laughs) we're here to talk about indexing and exchange traded funds. And Salim, I have to start with you. It's been 50 years since the first index product was launched. And now BlackRock says that we have over 120 million investors that are using index products and ETFs. So who
2: are these investors? It's a great question. And I think ETFs and indexation are some of the most versatile products out there. Because our investors are everyone from someone who's investing for the very first time and using an ETF as a simple way to get access to a wealth manager who may be building a portfolio and wants to have ETFs as part of the building blocks of that portfolio, to some of the most sophisticated asset managers in the world using ETFs as part of their alpha generation. And so you have this really, really diverse base of people who will be using ETFs for many, many different cases. But I think the thing that's most exciting about the number that you cited, the 120 million for me, is that 15 million more people We're using our iShares and our index capabilities just in the past year. And many of those people, the vast majority of that 15 million new people in the past year, are first-time investors. They're typically millennials. They're typically people who are getting into investing for the very first time. And they're looking to ETFs because they're cost-conscious. They're looking to ETFs because they want things like sustainable investing And they're looking to ETFs just because it's a more convenient way to invest. And I think that's really exciting because it's a whole new segment of demand that's opening up for the marketplace.
0: You mentioned some of those new clients just in the past year. And I think the projection is that over the next five years, you think there'll be another 100 million investors in these types of strategies. So it took 50 years to get sort of the first 100 million. And you think it'll only take five to get the next 100? Why is that? What is it that's driving that
2: accelerated adoption? Well, first of all, I hope I'm right, and you can invite me back, (laughs) and we can compare notes in three to five years or the like to kind of check in. But I think the thing that's underlying it is that, again, even if you just think about since the pandemic began, so since 2020, 40 million people all across the world have opened up investment accounts for the very first time. And that's more people that have opened up investment accounts than in the entire past decade. So you have this whole new segment of demand that I talked about before coming into the marketplace. And I think the other piece about this segment of self-directed investors, and it's not just here in the United States, it's all over the world, is that they're looking for something different from their investments. They're looking for, as I said, convenience. They're looking for less friction. And that could just be using technology platforms or it could be no commissions or commission free access to things like ETFs. And they're also looking for things that they look to in their lives outside of investments, whether it's more sustainability, whether it's getting good value for money. And I think it's the combination of these things, the convenience, the value for money, and in some cases, the sustainability of the underlying capabilities and products that's really generating this demand. And I think all 40 million of those people should become ETF investors. And the good thing is a very large segment of that population already agrees And so it's how do you make it easier and how do you make it more accessible for more and more people? You talked about the role of
0: these self-directed investment platforms and technology making it easier for people to invest. But isn't this influx largely due to meme stocks and these internet sensations?
2: It's a great point because I think that the whole meme stock narrative has been totally overhyped. When you look at the facts, and just I'll give you some from the United States, that two-thirds of retail trading are people buying ETFs for all the reasons that I talked about before. Yeah, there is a percentage of the population that's fun to write about and it's fun to kind of understand. But the vast majority of people are using the convenience, the access, these new accounts that they're opening to save and invest better. And they're looking to ETFs to do that. And it's not just true here in the United States. There was some research that was just published in Germany just the other day, which points to exactly the same thing happening. And so I do think that these platforms that have emerged, some of them upstart platforms all across the world, some of them very established, longstanding digital wealth platforms that have been around for decades, by taking away the commissions, they're making it easier and people are choosing more and more ETFs as their default investment vehicle. But I think it's exciting just because it's teaching a whole new set of investors how to invest and how to invest in a diversified, simpler way than they might have had access to in the past.
0: And from the perspective that you have, which is a global perspective, you mentioned Germany. So is it fair to say that the adoption of indexing and exchange-traded funds is not just a U.S. phenomenon, but it actually is global?
2: Yeah. And the German example is fascinating because Germany, for a very long time, has struggled to build an investing and equity culture. Most of the savings historically have been in bank deposits. And I think what's really changed in the past few years Certainly, it's the growth of self-directed platforms in Germany. It's also been the growth of things like ETF savings plans that have emerged in the German landscape. And so you now have people who are contributing every single month, maybe 150, 160 euros a month into these ETF savings plans. And these things are growing at a phenomenal rate. I mean, just a few years ago, there were only a few hundred thousand of them. Now there are about 3 million of them. We expect in the next three years, there'll be 9 million people contributing towards these ETF savings plans and the really important thing from our point of view is not just the growth and the regularity of the savings and the diversification of it is that we're actually helping to create a investing culture in countries that didn't have it and i think we're doing it in a diversified and a responsible way so that people can invest for the long term and they can do it with diversification they can do it in a balanced portfolio and i think that's just one example i could point to other examples in europe examples in brazil of how the ETF is really helping build an investment culture all across the world.
0: You mentioned convenience, and then it also sounds like it's providing financial discipline or a mechanism by which investors can exert some financial discipline in their life.
2: Yeah, the core of what it's providing is diversification. And so it provides that modicum of discipline to an overall investment. It does so with incredible transparency and the least amount of friction and all the other benefits. But I think it's that diversification benefit which I think really enables the ETF to be a good long-term investment.
0: And Samara, if I could come to you, we were talking about indexing. And oftentimes when you hear the term indexing, the word passive is introduced, that this is passive investing. Is passive really the right word when we talk about indexing and exchange-traded funds?
1: I am on a mission, Oscar, to banish the word passive from everybody's vocabulary when they talk about ETF and index investing. And Salim often makes fun of me and tells me that I should just make my email signature. There is nothing passive about how we manage our ETF and index book. But I'll tell you what I mean. For example, when it comes to ETFs and thinking about performance in the context of an ETF, what do investors look for? They want to see unexchange liquidity. They want to see tight trading spreads. They want to see well-behaved premium discount behavior, which means the stock price of the ETF is tracking the price of the underlying portfolio. And engagement with the liquidity provider ecosystem with exchanges are actions that have to happen to ensure that market quality. Another example, as Salim mentioned, part of how that number has expanded from 50 to 100 to 120 million investors is access to more markets and to more strategies And as we provide that in the index context, we need to become more agile around how we trade, particularly around rebalance events and seek liquidity into those. So all of those are how we very actively manage our ETF and index portfolios.
0: And it's fair to say that there's more than a few exchange-traded funds to choose from at any given point in time. So if you're an investor, how do you determine quality or... I think Salim used value for money. How do you determine what's the right exchange-traded fund or what's a good What makes
1: one ETF better than another? I think it's three things. I think it is investment performance, transparency, and continuous improvement. So the investment performance we just talked about in terms of active management, and that is ETF market quality and tracking the index, delivering the index outcome particularly with more innovative indexes beyond market cap-weighted indexes. We call those alt-weighted indexes. So first, that's investment performance is the ETF delivering that. Second is transparency. What's the information you have with the ETF? And that's one of the benefits of ETFs as they list all of their holdings. But as you said, there's lots of different products. We are big advocates of a better labeling system for ETFs, not all exchange-traded things are exchange-traded funds. There are exchange-traded commodities and exchange-traded notes. And so clarity around that and looking that you have that with the product that you're buying. And second is really continuous improvement, meaning there are ETFs that have been around for a long time. And as market conditions change, sometimes it makes sense for the index to evolve along with the market. And we saw a couple of examples last year with S&P expanding the investable universe for global clean energy, and we saw the same thing in the municipal bond market. So having that continuous improvement in your product, that's really the third metric of how we think about quality.
0: And maybe I'll pick up on that evolution of some of those indices you mentioned. Is it fair to say that client demand has started to evolve and that's creating the need for more customization or exchange-traded funds that have more specific attributes. Is that sort of a way to characterize the evolution of this market?
1: I think that's right. Demand has certainly accelerated. But to Salim's point, it's the breadth of that demand that has really driven that need for customization and choice. So how do you meet the needs of the self-directed investor in Germany and the institutional investor in the U.S.? And that requires, as Salim mentioned, the spectrum of outcomes that our investors are looking for from a sustainability perspective. So that requires a much more customized approach and a broader spectrum of what we're indexing. Let's stick
0: with this theme of customization because the variety and the choice that investors now have is like never before. And I think one sector in particular that has seen record inflows is this one around sustainability and ESG. So So, Mara, how has ESG transformed the ETF landscape over the past five years?
1: Well, let me give you one example that relates to your question about quality, because I said one of those three measures of how you think about quality is transparency. And something we think is very important right now is for investors to understand the sustainability characteristics of whatever it is that they own. So, something we did was we published something we call the ITR metric, implied temperature rise. So for any of our public index or ETFs, you can look at our website and you can see this metric and you can also read the paper around what this means. So measuring what you have and understanding its ESG characteristics, that's a key aspect of quality and something that has really emerged from broad client demand and conversations we've had over the past years.
0: So Lee, maybe coming back to you for a second, which is when I think about everything that both you and Samara have mentioned, which is this broadening of the investor base, the institutional investor, the individual investor in the US or Germany or beyond. I know that we talk a lot about the democratization of investing. And in doing so, the term financial inclusion comes to mind. Right. Right. So maybe talk a little bit about how you think indexing exchange-traded funds can continue to further the financial inclusion
2: objective. Oscar, my first job out of college was I worked in microfinance, and this was in very poor villages to help people save and invest for the very first time, but like two, three dollars kind of numbers. And I was able to see even in that context just the transformative power that good savings and investing behavior can have to take people out of poverty. Now, in my current job, it's something different. But if you think about the average holdings of our 120 million investors, it's about fifty thousand dollars. And while that's certainly a lot more money than a few dollars, it's not enough money to retire. And so really thinking about how to help people build wealth, build wealth for the long term, save responsibly, put fees to a minimum, help bring friction out of the ecosystem, is I think a large part of what ETFs and indexation are doing. We're bringing people who might otherwise view investing as too intimidating, too complicated, too expensive, and we're helping them- be able to start investing for the first time and then keep investing regularly, maybe small amounts every month to be able to build wealth for the long term. And I think the benefit to that beyond the business benefit is I think that it helps more and more people experience financial well-being, helps create more people with a real financial stake in the economies and the communities that they live in. So I think about the next 100 million as creating 100 million more capitalists people who really have a stake in their communities and in the economy, and who are able to benefit from the growth of each of those systems. And I think that indexation and ETFs are really playing an important role as being the gateway into that more secure financial future for people.
0: And Samara, you're the chief investment officer for the index and exchange-traded fund business at BlackRock. The client base is very diverse, as we've covered. What about the investment team's? that sit behind this engine. How do you think about the diversity of the investment teams themselves?
1: The investment team is also really diverse, and we think those things are related. I like to think that part of the answer to how we meet Salim's goal of the next 100 million investors is we want the people managing and designing and stewarding the health of the portfolios to be as diverse as those who are investing in it. So my leadership team is gender diverse, is majority female, And it's something we constantly talk about across our teams that the more we can bring together different perspectives, geographic perspectives, market perspectives, it makes us a lot more likely to let Salim come in and have a good conversation when we're invited back in three to five years on the hundred million.
0: So you shared all these great anecdotes of what you're both seeing in terms of investors using the index and exchange traded fund framework to save. And So I have to ask both of you, Salim, maybe I'll start with you. Do you remember the first time you started to invest?
2: I do. And you know I was making a caricature out of the meme stock investor. But in the late 90s, that was me. It all ended really poorly by the year 2000 or 2001. And so the investment that I started to make back then, which I still have, was a iShares ETF.
0: So you learned your lesson. I learned my lesson.
2: It went there the hard way. A lot of the stocks that I first bought in the late 90s no longer exist, which is why I think a diversified way to get there is a better way.
0: Right. And what about you, Samar? Do you remember your first investment?
1: I absolutely do, because actually it's been quite relevant over the last couple weeks. My sister, who is younger than me, had a baby way before I had kids, and so I thought a lot about what the baby gift should be. And I decided to invest for this baby. And this baby is now 19 years old. And so I invested in a total stock market index fund. And she is now the college recipient of those funds. So that was my first investment.
0: I hope it's paying for most of the four-year tuition.
1: (laughs) I wish, but it's a nice addition.
0: Well, Salim and Samara, thank you so much for joining us on The Bid.
2: Thanks, Oscar.
1: Thanks for having us, Oscar.
3: This information is for informational purposes only and is prepared by BlackRock, is not intended to be relied upon as a forecast, research, or investment advice, and is not a recommendation, offer, or solicitation to buy or sell any securities or to adopt any investment strategy. The opinions expressed are as of date of publication and are subject to change. The information and opinions contained in this material are derived from proprietary and non-proprietary sources deemed by BlackRock to be reliable and are not guaranteed as to accuracy or completeness. This material may contain forward-looking information that is not purely historical in nature. There is no guarantee that any forecasts made will come to pass. Reliance upon information in this material is at the sole discretion of the listener. Past performance is not indicative of current or future results. The information provided is neither tax nor legal advice and investors should consult with their own advisors before making investment decisions. The value of investments and the income from them can go down as well as up and you may not get back the amount invested. BlackRock does and may seek to do business with companies covered in this podcast. As a result, listeners should be aware that the firm may have a conflict of interest that could affect the objectivity of this podcast. In the U.S. and Canada, this material is intended for public distribution. Investors in the U.S. should carefully consider the fund's investment objectives, risk factors, and charges and expenses before investing. This and other information can be found in the fund's prospectuses or, if available, the summary prospectuses which may be obtained by visiting www.ishares.com or www.blackrock.com. Read the prospectus carefully before investing. Investing involves risk, including possible loss of principal. The iShares and BlackRock funds that are registered with the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission are distributed in the U.S. by BlackRock Investments, LLC, together with its affiliates, BlackRock. This material does not constitute an offer or solicitation to sell or a solicitation of an offer to buy any shares of any fund, nor shall any such shares be offered or sold to any person in any jurisdiction in which an offer, solicitation, purchase, or sale would be unlawful under the securities law of that jurisdiction. In the U.K. and non-European economic area, EEA countries, This is issued by BlackRock Investment Management, UK Limited, authorized and regulated by the Financial Conduct Authority, registered office 12 Throgmorton Avenue, London, EC2N2DL. Telephone, plus 44-020-7743-3000, registered in England and Wales, number 02020394. For your protection, telephone calls are usually recorded please refer to the Financial Conduct Authority website for a list of authorized activities conducted by BlackRock. In the European Economic Area, EEA, this is issued by BlackRock Netherlands BV, is authorized and regulated by the Netherlands Authority for the Financial Markets. Registered Office, Amstelplein 1-1096-HA, Amsterdam, Telephone 020-549-5200, Telephone 3120-549-5200, Trade register Number, 17068311 For your protection, telephone calls are usually recorded. For investors in Switzerland, this is marketing material. In Singapore, this is issued by BlackRock Singapore Limited, company registration number 200010143N. This advertisement or publication has not been reviewed by the Monetary Authority of Singapore. In Hong Kong, this material is issued by BlackRock Asset Management North Asia Limited and has not been reviewed by the Securities and Futures Commission of Hong Kong. In Australia, issued by BlackRock Investment Management Australia Limited ABN 13006165975AFSL230523BIMAL The material provides general information only and does not take into account your individual objectives, financial situation, needs, or circumstances. Before making any investment decision, you should assess whether the material is appropriate for you and obtain financial advice tailored to you having regard to your individual objectives, financial situation, needs, and circumstances. In Latin America, this material is for educational purposes only and does not constitute investment advice nor an offer or solicitation to sell or a solicitation of an offer to buy any shares of any fund nor shall any shares be offered or sold to anyone in any jurisdiction in which an offer, solicitation, purchase, or sale would be unlawful under the securities law of that jurisdiction. If any funds are mentioned or inferred to in this material, it is possible that some or all of the funds may not have been registered with the securities regulator of Argentina, Brazil, Chile, Colombia, Mexico, Panama, Peru, Uruguay, or any other securities regulator in any Latin American country, and thus may not be publicly offered within any such country. The securities regulators of such countries have not confirmed the accuracy of any information contained herein. The provision of investment management and investment advisory services is a regulated activity in Mexico, thus is subject to strict rules. For more information on the investment advisory services offered by BlackRock Mexico, please refer to the investment services guide available at www.blackrock.com forward MX. Copyright 2022 BlackRock Incorporated. All rights reserved iShares and BlackRock trademarks of BlackRock Incorporated or its subsidiaries in the United States and elsewhere. All other marks are those of their respective owners.